Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Hi, this is Emily Tung. Emily Tung is a dancer, parkour freerunning athlete, and a stunt woman based in New York City. Emily has a long history of movement, starting with martial arts as a young girl in Taipei, Taiwan. She's not your average dancer athlete, but rather a hybrid movement artist who intensively studies multiple movement disciplines and creates extreme performances out of them. Welcome, Emily. Thank you for having me. Let's start at the obvious place, which is dancing is a really big universe, a big space of options. Can you tell me a little bit about like what you do? Like I know that you do what's called B-Girl and breakdancing to some extent. Can you unpack a little bit about what dance means to you today? Today, I've recently decided I really want to go after world battles and try to win and try to make a name. I think as a child, I've always wished I could be one of those people, but didn't think I was one of those people. Mm. So I would follow the people that I thought were the best. at In Taiwan at the time, HRC crew was one of the best crews. So I would attend everything they go to. I watch all their shows. I go to all their practices. And I thought, hey, I could just have the lifestyle be just as good without doing it. Uh, okay. And what happened was I realized my dancing got very stagnant after a while. Because when you are not trying to go after something big you're not going to train for that. So you're just going to train to train. And when you just kind of train and you're just there, your focus is not enough to make you an exceptional dancer. So then you start to kind of stay where you are and you're comfortable. And the, the problem is if you tried, it didn't matter. If you didn't try, it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. we, we were talking earlier before we started recording, we were talking about you said that it's important for you specifically to have a goal, like to have, a, and the goal has to, rise, now this might be me making up words that you didn't actually say, but it has to rise above maybe the normal level of like things in your life so that that becomes so clear that you can use it like as a litmus test. Is that, and that rings with what you were just saying about this recent decision to do that. And what, like, what, what does that force you to change? So when you say, okay, now I've chosen this goal, I've got my, my finger on it. What about how you practice or what you practice? Like, how is that going to drive changes? in your life? So I remember there's a part in my life where I decided I wanted to be elite. I wanted to be the best. And when I switched my mind to, I want to be that and I'm going to be that. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to be that. Everything changed like in my life. Like I started eating better, sleeping better, hanging out with better people and reading a lot. I started to seek information and knowledge from everyone that I thought was either on their way there or already there. That's a, so it reshaped my whole life. Yeah, that's a really that's a deep piece of wisdom right there. The whole like ask people who have done it already, or ask people who seem to be going the same way as you. That's that's really I found that's very helpful. <laughs> what what do you think? Um, is there something about breakdancing or B girl that you feel you're? That, um, I was going to say you're not in love with anymore, but like you that would mean moving away from some of the other activities you're currently doing. And how do you feel about that? Is it? I didn't used to be in love with um it's weird i wasn't in love with battling but i wanted to battle mm -hmm. it was a very conflicting thing for me and I, i'm still not sure why i mean some of it was because i was just trying to i didn't believe in it in a sense where um i didn't believe i could be the pro mm -hmm. um and that i didn't really want it because i grew up with the i guess the track of like being an actress and anything in the realm of performing arts. But I didn't see breaking, it's actually the proper term is breaking, but I didn't see breaking 
as a part of that. I didn't see how it fit in. And I don't know anybody that used breaking to be like at a very high level, successful, like even just like the name, the income, the the sort of like the the life that I wanted. I didn't see how breaking could get me could there. Get you there, okay. And that was a very uh, Asian mentality. I I, I want to say just in general, when where I'm from, if you're not an academic person, you're just not that successful. Um, and the only thing they understand is, oh, if you're on Broadway or even Hollywood. You're successful. You're successful. So I was kind of stuck with that, which is why I didn't pick breaking as like my vehicle to get there. Even though I knew I had the passion and the drive and the dream. And if it did offer that, I would do it. And it's not until I got to New York and met people who believed we can make breaking into that. We can be the pioneers and make this dance and this culture into something big enough to sustain many lives. And to be the first to do that was extremely empowering for me. And once I realized I could be that and I should at least try because how much I believe in this thing and how much it's taught me about myself and how much I've learned from it, how much I've grown, how much it's given me, I owe it to like, I want to give back to it. I want more people to experience this. So that that's like the, that's like the switch there. Mm. When I switched, I, I switched the way I train. I switched the way I handle this, what it means to me. So it all becomes, all becomes like grounded in that one, like, is it, does this move me toward that goal or does this move me the wrong way? Yeah. It just has to be like, it has to like light me up. And like, I have to be like, oh, if somebody was like, give like, if you can have anything you want right now, what would you pick? It's one of those. It's so strong that it's like one of those, like you have three wishes and if you say it, it'll happen. What will it be? This was one of those things, those things, one of those things that really, I feel very passionate about, like deep in my gut. Mm. And it drives me, you know, I remember yesterday we were talking about like, if I'm asking myself, do I rather stay in bed today or do I rather go and make this dream happen? That dream always wins. And if I always check in with myself, do I rather drink this bottle of beer or do I rather go and get closer to my dream or go practice? You know, there's always that, like, if I choose my, my I always choose my dream over that thing in front of me that is not even close well, to so that, my dream. It's like almost ridiculous when you ask yourself that. Yeah, it makes it very clear when you have a, a, a guiding star that you can point to and touch. But we've touched on already a couple different things on like breaking and and martial arts I mentioned already. And you have an interesting way of looking at martial arts and dance sort of have preconceived notions of martial arts particularly. There's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And then you went into parkour because it, it had a, a freedom space where you could do your own thing and experiment. And then I know that you took what you learned from parkour. For example, I can know your stunt work, like falling is like a big part of being able to do successful stunt work. So you, you kind of came out of the preconceived shape into the space that's parkour. And then you were able to learn something from that and take it back and make your dancing better. So it like makes this recursive improving circle out of it so can you tell me a little bit about what about moving into the open space that is practicing parkour like how did that help you grow from what you had learned from dance and martial arts well it's interesting when i saw max henry was like one of the first people that i saw doing parkour it was him shaw and andrew mm -hmm. and it was interesting i was sick that day ordered Chinese, went downstairs, and I saw them just using their space and doing things that like kind of resembled what I do, but 
it was like circus level stuff. It was like circus gymnastic level stuff. They were landing on rails smaller than their feet. Mm -hmm. And the drop was like at least one story, two stories high. And they're just sticking it comfortably. And Andrew's doing all these like things on a bench that was like vault and footwork. To me, it was just really cool looking. So I'm trying so that, to I'm trying to tie it back to what I was talking about. I'm well, like, that's okay. so, so you, so you saw story. something in what's wrong with okay. being? I remember what I was saying now. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's fine. So I saw I saw that and I was like, wow, there's something in this I could use in my dancing that I feel like I'm missing. That that moment I was like, I've always had trouble with flow. Mm -hmm. And these guys have perfect flow. And everything dancers, they right? did worked. Everything they're doing is freestyle. They're not overthinking. They're not planning. They're just going and they don't even have music <laughs> they're just moving in the space being inspired by their movement and yeah it kind of looks like you know skateboarding without the skates or whatever right. it kind of looked like a lot of everything that i know about and see but they're able to just move and i, I think the freedom of that caught me right away mm, i and asked that, them to teach me i was gonna say that took you right there. that took you right there into the <laughs> so so you but you, you, um, I'm gonna guess threw yourself into parkour, parkour. Learn to talk, parkour headlong, and and actually gave it a serious amount of effort to learn it. Like you didn't just like have a flash of inspiration and then run back and apply that. You you then went into parkour and delved into that. Yes, uh, I started training with Max every week from there because I, I I told myself in the beginning, hey, I'm gonna learn something that I didn't get to learn in my dance and get to use that in my dance. The thing that's missing, I think I found it here. But then they started teaching me about the discipline and they're very into, when you're with people who are really absorbed in their passion, I think it, you learn that thing differently than if you were in a classroom. Like they really pass you the gold. And they were teaching me things about the philosophical aspects of fear and like how to, how to perfect your precision and things like, you got to do it three times or... Right. And you don't did, stop to think, why is that important? You don't stop to think, why is the precision useful or why is it important? You just, you know, you can see the passion in those types of people and in those guys in particular. And then you're automatically like, okay, this is valuable. I'm not sure why, but I'm going to do what they're asking me to try. And then I'm going to see if I, what lesson I find. And then that, very different from like open to page 12 and like start with precisions. Yeah. And he was, I remember Max at the time, he's like, this is what I want to do since 14. Parkour is my life. Like, this is all I want. And I was like, wow, I don't think I've ever met anyone that just picked something and just knew. Yeah, that clarity. <laughs> and like going to school is for his parents. He just he just knew that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, I, I don't think I know anybody that is just that sure. That sure. And I want to be that sure. And I, I look back as like, maybe I am that sure. I just never like, I overthought it. Mm. I was just talking myself out of it when I am that sure. Mm -hmm. I've always been that sure. And then how do you take that? Um, I'm fast forwarding a lot through parkour, but then, so you get to a point where you feel, I'm, I'm asking, you feel that you were comfortable enough with parkour that you could continue on a journey of parkour by yourself. Like at some point you need to outgrow your teacher of Max and Andrew and, and feel like you can keep doing this and finding your own direction. And then how do you decide to, to return to dance or circle back to dance, whatever metaphor you like? Oh man, I almost left dance actually. Uh, I think uh, my first year I was exposed to a lot of people and I found out how the parkour is a lot about traveling and meeting people mm -hmm. and being in a new environment and playing with that environment exploration and adventures which is so me already like that was already a part of my life I just didn't do it in the context of parkour which to me is better because I'm interacting with my space yeah I hate just looking at stuff well I want to be 
yes. interacting and involved. Yes. Yes. So that it made me feel alive and primal, and I didn't feel judged. And the problem with me in my own dance community back in the day, I was a girl. So I was judged right from the start. I was this 14-year-old girl. Nobody was that young and nobody was a girl. Nobody believed I could do power moves. No, uh, A lot of them, like if I were like, hey, teach me air flares, teach me backflip, they would just laugh at me. Right. I mean, it's not like I didn't find someone to show me or teach me the way. They maybe weren't the best teachers. I didn't get to learn those moves at well, the Well, they time. didn't take you seriously. They just they automatically prejudged you and assumed X, right? I mean, some some of the guys are like, oh my gosh, she's going to be really good one day. But I don't think anybody really thought of me as one of them. Mm -hmm. So I think coming from that and trying to fight that in my dance, I felt lonely. Mm. And parkour, I felt accepted. And I felt like I had friends that I didn't meet that are going to be my friends. Like I felt the sense of community really strong. And that made me want to leave dance or stop dancing or like I would still dance, but not at a serious level anymore. I'd, I'd revisit it just because okay. it feels good because I still love the way it feels. I still love what I get from it, but I didn't love being around the people as much as I did in parkour. Mm. Uh, so that's when I got really sucked in for like, I think a good two or something years before I went back to dance again. Mm -hmm. And the reason I went back was because I remember telling myself this was to dance better almost. Oh, you, you remember that. I had to see if it did. I have to apply my dance or Your apply parkour. my parkour back to my dance to at least see if my experiment Worked. was right. working. Right. Uh, and uh, also I did stop a dance for another reason. Like I like hurt myself really bad. Like I, every joint in my body had had a bad enough sprain where it just like hurt every day. And parkour was how I got to meet the healers and the people that know how to condition and train their bodies and maintain their bodies like a machine. Like, hey, this is what you got to do for recovery. This is what you got to do to make sure right. you're good to go tomorrow and the next day. And you do not have to be in pain. You do not have to accept that pain is the only way. You're not some OG martial artist <laughs> that like have to live with a broken rib or shoulder or whatever right. for the rest of your life. You're not broken, but you are hurting and you don't need to be hurting. And that was one of the reasons I thought breaking was breaking me. Like I literally <laughs> thought it was breaking me. I was like, maybe I'm a girl and I really can't do this because my body doesn't work like a man and I will break instead of make it. Mm -hmm. And it's not true. I just had to find the science behind it. And I found it when I was doing parkour. So when I went back, I didn't just apply skills. Uh, or like conditioning, like, oh, I got to train things progressively. Oh, it's a big thing. The big lesson I learned, like having progressions. Because in breaking, back in the day, there was no such thing as progressions. You saw somebody do something, you just try until you get it. That was like <laughs> the mentality. was like, try over and over and over again. Three years later, you Start might have it. Added, right? You know, so, and people accepted that things break and they get hurt. They were okay with it. Um, I just had a career that I couldn't afford that necessarily. Mm. Like, I was also just like a regular dancer trying to be an actress. Like I was trying to do things that I couldn't afford being broken, really. Can't show up with sprains. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> went back to uh, dance and applied things like progression, taking things one step at a time. If something is too hard, take a notch back. Look for the thing that's missing, which I kind of learned from Jesse. Like look for the missing chain. In this chain of movement, you can't complete it because there's a weakness somewhere. Mm -hmm. And you got to pick it out and drill that until you have it so that when you chain it together again, it's reactive. You just do it by habit. Now you're not thinking about it when you're doing it. Because some things 
especially when it comes to power, uh, something really fast, really explosive, it needs to be reactive. If it's not already in your body, you're probably not going to do it or you're going to be very inconsistent. Yeah, timing's going to be off and the risk of something going unexpected, that's very... Yeah, and that's how you get hurt. So understanding how to not get hurt, not in a avoiding way, but in a, a formulated way, like you, you're just smart about how you move now and understanding that, hey, you can't learn this. You can't learn everything in one day. Right. I was very, I was fairly talented fast learner in the sense like if something was technical, I picked it up right away. But if your body's not ready to handle like 20 reps, right. you're just not going to do 20 reps. And I couldn't accept that for the longest time. I just thought I could force myself to uh, learn stuff. Yeah. Some people are really good at, I think it's called mapping where it's like, uh, explain, I, I want you to do this. And then they look at it and they're able to map that onto their physical behavior and they can actually do it on the first try. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of those people, but some people are really good at that. It sounds to me like you're you're good at that mapping part of it, but then that I think that would be very frustrating if your body then actually couldn't physically do 20 reps of it. And you're like, come on, body, I know, I mean, like to make it happen and then it doesn't function the way you wished. I didn't think we were gonna go this, go here this quickly, <laughs> but this leads me to the next thing I wanted to ask about, which is your stunt work that you've been doing. And, and like your CV is, is impressive. There's a bunch of things you've done that I think I've actually seen. Now I'm gonna go back and, and hit rewind. And, and what I wanna know is, the discussion you and I had about stunt work is that a lot of it involves falling, which sounds obvious, like, yeah, that's what stunt people do, but but being able to fall effectively and repeatedly and on demand is actually really the, seems to be the core part of stunt work. Am I, am I getting on the right, my yeah, right ballpark? Uh, most of it is timing and reaction and spatial awareness mm -hmm. when it comes to falling and getting hit on time, because you're pretending you're getting hit. So if you miss your mark, and there's a gap that can tell you you didn't actually get hit. Right. Um, that's also spacing, knowing where you are. If you fall in the wrong spot, you might hit a rock next to you. You might hit somebody you're not supposed to next to you, you right. know. And then, yeah, timing. If you don't time it right, it just won't sell. So. And so were you doing stunt work before you started doing parkour? Or did that only come after? Or Stunt work is like one of those things that I accidentally became good for. Because I'm a big fan of Jackie Chan. And like most kids, we watch him and we try to do stuff he does. Mm -hmm. It's probably why I started parkour. Like I wanted to climb walls and jump <laughs> off buildings like Jackie Chan. Right. I wanted to be able to climb curtains and kick people at the same time. And I grew up doing martial arts. So it's like, why wouldn't I be able to do that? Mm -hmm. I could see myself doing that in a movie. I was trying to be an actress, you know, growing up. So seeing him makes me be like, oh, I can be like the female Jackie Chan. And that kind of... The way I train sometimes, not just in the discipline, but you know how you like mess around and you train stuff for fun? It was like kind of in the light of stunts. So then it made sense when I found out that stunts was a career on its own, which mm -hmm. I found out like kind of late. I think it was like 2013 when I like finally met like real stunt people who work on TV shows. And there are people that like used to be b-boys, trickers, whatever. They were like people that do what I do, but then like became some people because it made sense. And I was kind of like, oh, yeah, that's like what I kind of already like do or want to do. And I've been training for it like kind of by chance. Like a lot of this stuff would be very transferable. So then it just came down to learning the business. Yeah, there's got to be, this is how we do it. And this is how you follow direction. And this is how you work with the Yeah, and it's like, or... it's a lot of similarity to acting. It's just using uh, your body instead of words. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities there. So. Here's the funny thing. Well, my stunt work 
or my my uh, stunt training, the process of learning it was a lot quicker. Like I, I was considered like, wow, very talented right from the start. But it's because I'm really good at parkour and breaking and dance and movement in general. I'm able to transfer those skills into my stunt work and be able to sell the shot well without hurting myself because I understand all these things. But I, I get a lot of parkour people that obviously are interested in doing stunt work. And the problem is just because you're a good parkour person and you have this amazing parkour reel does not make you a stunt man or stunt woman. It's a misconception that, oh, you must be really good. Isn't quite like that because the focus in stunts is not doing a perfect jump and it's not doing that perfect climb over that fence and running really fast. Like, have you watched most movies? Do you see chase scenes (laughs) that often that are like well done? Eh, right? Like, do you see the application of parkour in most film or action films? Eh, yeah, there's like not, one role. You right. know, if they're on a if they're hanging from a building, there's a harness. Like we don't use harnesses in parkour. We don't use protection in parkour. So there's a huge misconception that you can just jump right into stunts and it'll work out for you because you can do triple backflips. And what movie have you seen that? Has triple backflips. Yeah, it's <laughs> just, almost like the parkour people are too good, and, yes. and they have to like realize that, like knowing where you put your foot two inches left or right. That's also also mission critical. That's but you mentioned before that spatial awareness, that idea yeah. of like knowing where to fall so that you don't get you don't injure or fall into somebody else, knock them over, hit the camera. You have to know how you have to first of all you have to intentionally fall and make things ugly and dirty and use bad form mm. on purpose to make that shot look like real and that you didn't just plan it or faked it. So you have to cover that. But you also have to know, all right, the first thing that hits the ground is my foot or like the mm-hmm. part of my body that can handle, which is like generally like kind of like the thigh and the lat area. Mm-hmm. You have to extend a certain way, but you have to make it look like you died, not right. that you had perfect form and landed it safe. Like you have to cover that. And I guess that would depend a lot on, um, I don't know a lot about television and movies, but I'm guessing that would also be really critical for the stunt choreographer and for the cinematographer to make sure that what they're asking the stunt person to do fits with the reality of the shot angles and stuff. In other words, like, okay, here's the physiological reality of how I have to hit the floor if you want me to like come to work tomorrow. <laughs> so then that has to be fit into the shot. And I'm wondering, as a as just like a regular frontline stunt person, how involved are you in that process? Or do they just treat you like a meat puppet and they tell you what to do? Or do you say, well, what do you want? And then together you work out how that works? Like how does the process work? I've been pretty lucky so far in terms of the coordinator usually. So I don't talk to the director. I talk to the coordinator and he'll ask me, we're going to do this shot like this and shot this way. And if there's any point I hear something I'm not really Mm -hmm. supposed to or can't really handle, I'm supposed to voice it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, if he's telling me, do this, do that, I just say, okay, Mm. I can do it. And And, that's it. And that's because you've been working with stunt coordinators who like have a clue. I mean, like you haven't, they seem to have noticed the things that you would obviously have objected to. Yeah. So uh, most coordinators uh, who are like good at their jobs. Mm -hmm. So so far, I've been lucky. I've worked with more notable ones that have a good rep, but they're supposed to know that safety is first and they're supposed to know the stunt itself. Like they're sort of supposed to know how to at least do it themselves and right. know that it's safe to do before they ask somebody to do it. Perform it. Okay. 
I think my favorite part of the podcast is when completely unexpected things come up. So I was reading through your resume and I think it said you learned Swedish cottage marionette and which is puppetry. And my question is, wait, what, how did, how did that come up? And like, how did you get into, is it marionette tree or how did you get into marionette work or how, like, tell me more about that. When I was in third grade, I took a puppetry workshop for about a year and I never stopped playing with puppets since then, but mostly on my own. Like I, we've learned how to make all kinds of puppets mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, and I remember in high school, I, I put together like a puppet production. And then in college, again, like there were like two TV shows, like college student film TV mm -hmm. shows, things that they hired, hired. No, they, they, <laughs> they asked me to be their lead puppeteer for uh, the two shows that I auditioned for. So it's always been in my repertoire. Uh, and then I was at a women's jam for parkour that Caitlin hosts. Um, it was like the second annual women's jam in New York City. And uh, one of the girls, was a NYU student, mm -hmm. a Tisch school. I believe she was a Tisch BFA student, graduate or recent graduate. And she was like, oh, I know this guy that works for the um, Central Park uh, Swedish Cottage Marionette Theater and they're doing auditions this month. You should check it out. Because I like randomly <laughs> mentioned puppetry because I was like, oh, you went to Tisch. Oh, I went to Hofstra. I did the drama, dance majors, whatever. Right. Used to and do a lot of puppetry. puppetry. It's like my thing. Like I was always wanted, wanted to be a puppeteer in New York City. I just like knew I was going to do it. I was like, I'm going to come to New York and I'm going to be a puppeteer when I when I graduate. Like, And I told her that just like out of nowhere. And she was like, go audition for this. Go audition for this. Here's, here's his name. He's cool. And like for some miraculous reason, I, I got the job. <laughs> this was like my first month moving to New York City. So I was like, I, I don't even know if I'll have a job for a while. And yeah, I like lucked out and got into the theater and did that for that whole season. So that's before you fell in love with parkour? No, nah, parkour was a college thing. College so is a college I thing. started in my sophomore year. How did, I have to ask, how did parkour inform your puppetry? Like did did your puppetry change before? I was just, I had better stamina because I don't know if you guys know this. I was going to say, wait, you need stamina to be a puppeteer? What? <laughs> Our theater is two stories tall. We are standing on literally a bridge over the stage, mm -hmm. bent like in a bow position. Uh, uh, the these puppets, and... these puppets are wooden puppets, solid wood. They're like each five something pounds heavy, maybe. Oh, they might okay. be heavier. Some of them are heavier, some of them are lighter, but. I'd say the average is like five pounds heavy. Uh, and the shows are about an hour long. Oh, okay. So we are bent over with our arms sticking straight out. And we're maneuvering these puppets with just our uh, forms and arms wrists. and fingers and, and they, micro and macro movements and shifting and oh man. So one hand walks the feet and the other hand holds the puppet, moves the head, shakes the arms. Uh, and, and yeah, you're like walking across the bridge sometimes as a puppet got, they have to enter the stage and then they have to leave the stage. I had one of the coolest puppets. One of the shows we did is like a circus show. It had a clown that is a, has slinky legs so he can grow really tall and then he could become like a really short puppet. So when I had to grow him, I had to reach my arm oh, all the way right. up. <laughs> one But his arm legs are up. still on the floor. So my other hand has to be all the way down. I don't know if I'm painting a picture here well <laughs> there's, enough. There's pantomiming happening. <laughs> yes. No, no I got I to kind of like really think about what I'm describing here because this puppet is like a magic puppet. Like you just don't expect it to grow that hot and then come back down and it jumps. 
So now I got now I got to bring my arms together and open. So this is like kind of like weightlifting. Like yeah, it's not heavy for me, but it is a lot of work for about an hour. Um, and then I had to make this puppet skateboard. So they were, they built a ramp the size of the stage, and I had to literally run across the stage, making this puppet skateboard flip around, go Whoa. back. I got to run the other way. <laughs> this whole time, one of my arm is above my head. The whole time, the other one is like moving. So the other, the other one is going up and down. The other um, the other arm is kind of following, but it's like above my head the whole time. And I'm still bent over halfway <laughs> because I got to be in front of the bridge. You got to reach out so the strings to, are clear. Yeah, and I have to make sure this puppet is hitting the ramp but not crashing on the ramp. So there's a lot of there's a lot of precision work in this. So I think, I think you know, if we're talking about does parkour help, I think it has to do with the way I think and the way I... Yeah, that's a lot of spatial I'm awareness. I'm trying to get my puppet to do processing. what I would do in real life, you know? So I got to mm. be able to imagine things and then put it on stage so that I think the imagination aspect and just being able to take that physicalness you know because yeah. it's very physical performance are you, still, are you still doing puppetry like no this is really cool <laughs> <laughs> um I want to start my own tv show at this point uh it's hard for me to commit time to something that yeah, it was like one of the most fun jobs ever, but also like one of my lowest paying jobs ever. <laughs> and it was it was a lot of work. I would have kept doing it mm. if I, you know, had that kind of space in my life. But I'd rather create my own and try to, you know, really build that. Because I think, uh, you know, a theater is limited to uh, people showing up to your theater. Mm -hmm. And they don't film their work to promote for obvious reasons. Like they want people to come to the theater. But I'm I'm kind of more about this like media age where I just want to share my work yeah, to I think that makes sense. millions, and I rather put this on like a web series or yeah. TV show, whatever like gets my work out there. To me, I think is still more important. Like how many people know about you, I think reaches more, and you'll get more from it than hoping that your flyers get to like some school and right. they bring their kids to see your show. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing against that, but you know, it's there's a limit to how far that can grow. Right. We've covered, I don't know, nine different things here so far. And there's one more that I just have to get to, which is contortionist. And I've actually seen some really good contortionists and it is a spectacular art form, not just like body-wise spectacle, like, like, oh my God, I didn't think the body could do that, but it's also interesting to see it presented as art. So there's a presentation to it. There's an art form to it. But my first question is how, how did you like how did that get started? Did somebody walk up to you and say, wow, you're really flexible. That's actually called contortionist. You should go do that. Or like, did you get interested in it and then work at it? Or how did that, how did that evolve? I've always wanted to do it. Uh, I've always been flexible because I started probably because I started really young. Uh, martial arts, they have you do splits. Ballet, they have you do splits. I've always been able to split. I've always been able to, I learned the Scorpio on my own. Uh, it was like a handstand and your feet are touching mm -hmm. your head. Because I saw it in a circus. Uh, and I remember uh, my mom was like, you'll never be that flexible. They were born that way and they're Mongolian. They, you, you weren't born to be a contortionist. She thought it was like something you got to be born with. And I was like, no, but I can do that. Yeah, look. Like I was, I was like, I can do that move. Right? So I didn't get to meet my teacher, Ben Mendoza. He's like my panda master. He calls himself panda. Uh, he teaches at Brooklyn <laughs> Zoo. I guess he like walked in one day and he was just chatting with um, the owner, Geronimo, and he was mentioning starting a flexibility extreme stretch class. And I was like, oh my God, I've always wanted to learn that. And Where's I the sign-up sheet, right? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I never met anybody that taught it. I just always like see it in circuses and I've, I've always stretched, but I don't know how to connect my stretches. 
Mm. Nine, like I, I'm already like decently flexible. I can do splits. I can do back bends, whatever. And he was like, yeah, come to class. And I, that was like my first time discovering I can do over splits, but I didn't know for the longest time I could. Because mm. I never tried. I didn't know, I didn't know you could stretch certain ways. And I didn't know um, what active stretching was until I started contortion. And that's what I was missing. Actually, active stretching is one of the key things you need to prevent injuries and increase mobility. Mm-hmm. It's not about, because uh, I, I was like, oh, I can kick to my head, but I can't hold my leg at the head, uh, at that at height. That position. And just, or like, I can't like slowly lift it and just hold it there. At least at the time I couldn't. And I've always wondered like how to train for that. Mm. And the key is to actively stretch. So once you know you have this range of motion, you have to learn how to hold that range. And then you have to learn how to move through the whole range. And that's how you start coming up with routines. You don't jump into things. You don't rely on momentum. Contortion is all about that perfect control. Mm. And that the way they move into things is, is all lift, 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 press, 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 press. It's never kick, jump, hold, kick, mm. jump, hold, which is what breaking is more like. Mm-hmm. Breaking is like snap into it, snap into it, snap into it. an arrest. Yeah, because I mean, the music is like that. So they have no reason to do anything slow. And they're hard in their own ways. It's very hard to be fast and powerful and precise, but it's also very hard to be slow and strong <laughs> and precise. Yes. They're, they're opposite ways of using your muscles. And mm-hmm. it's actually very, I can't, I don't want to say they, they don't affect each other. If you're good at one, doesn't mean you're going to be good at the other one. If you're, but you can be good at both. People have a misconception that, strength equals you lose flexibility. That's absolutely not true. Right. It's how you use your body that affects flexibility. And it's not like you stretch, you're going to lose power. Like that's only like a, like if you stretch and then you try to do power right away, it could affect you. Right. But it's not like, oh, if I start lifting weights, I'm going to lose my split. No, ask. There's a lot of people who are strong, who don't have to stretch every day that can hit a split mm-hmm. any day. And they do like legs. So it's it's just more about you train both, and you even out the the load. And your body. So you don't overtrain yourself. Right? If you overtrain yourself, you're gonna be bad at both. <laughs> but if you if you even it out, you're like, okay, today I'm doing more slow and controlled strength based things. Tomorrow I'm gonna do more powerful whatever thing, and then the third day I'm gonna do both together. If you're dynamically training your body at a good amount of load and pace and whatever you are going to be good at both you're able to adapt both so have you have you used i can't imagine this but how can have you used your flexibility and contortion uh let's call it your knowledge set have you used that in your parkour like i'm just we've really we're really drawing a lot of like closed circles here where you learn something in one art and then bring it back to dance or you learn something in parkour that like like how does this flexibility tie back into parkour is it physical movement is it just a mental application of how to train or it makes me more creative i'm able to handle more shapes Mm. and i guess i I, let's just take a vault like you know people have like the standard vaults the safety the lazy Mm -hmm. uh and i just can do more unique things so my parkour looks more like dance sometimes Okay. Because I'm like changing the shape of my legs or I'm like using uh, my my neck or something. Or I'm like using like a weird part of my body to get through an obstacle. And people find that very interesting, I, I guess, because it's like unexpected. 
Well, it certainly changes this, the envelope. So there's a certain, you know, there's an aircraft have a flight envelope and human beings have a, a movement envelope. And that, I think that would make your movement envelope drastically uh, wider or larger, however you want to put yeah. that. So that, you know, for me, I'm all about like three points of contact and I don't like to do flying dynamic things, but you would be able to do things in two points of contact comfortably or, or to make a third point of contact out of your head in a safe fashion, whereas me, that's usually the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah. It just allows me to accomplish a lot more. Mm -hmm. And I have, so you know how a lot of times we have a challenge, Hey, let's everybody get to, uh, that point over there mm -hmm. and you can't use this or you can't use the floor or you can't use this wall. Right. And so like when we set challenges, I, I tend to be the one that does that thing that everyone's just like, how did you even come up with that <laughs> solution? Like of all the 20 solutions that everybody came out with, like, how come you chose to do that? And that's crazy. And none Nobody of us else do thought that. of it, right? Well, it's not even that. It's just because they won't be able to do it. So mm. they didn't think of using it that way. Whereas I'm like, oh, like, oh all right, I'm going to traverse from this wall to that wall in a full split. Mm. And then like reach around and then bring my full split up this way to whatever. And they're right. like, it's not something they might be able to handle. So they don't choose that route. They'll choose like using my arms, using my core, you know, whereas I'm like, I choose the part that feels easy to me. Mm. And it just happens to be something else. We've talked about a bunch of different things already, and I also want to bring up pole dancing. And can you first just unpack a little bit about like what that is, what it entails? And I know uh, 2015, you qualified for championships, which in my opinion, puts you in like the extreme upper elite, you know, level of dancing. And I'm wondering if you can first unpack, like what are some of the misconceptions that people have of it and and what is it really? The, the style of pole I learned is considered pole fitness mm -hmm. uh, or the artistic athletic style of pole. So our focus is mainly strength, the artistic aspect, like learning to use, uh, I guess, even like ballet, contemporary, modern dance style, vocabulary, gymnastics, uh, and weave that into, there's a static pole and a spin pole and just package it into this. I think it's kind of like a circus act, mm -hmm. if you ask me. It feels like I'm putting together this like contortion rhythmic gymnics show that I've, I've seen using, it in Cirque du Soleil and it's, yeah. it's an amazing form of art. It's an, it's, it's not quite dance. It's not quite gymnastics. It's this spectacular presentation of human ability, human exceptionalism. And so my understanding is that you went on to pretty quickly went on to teach that. So after actually, after my first competition, which was three months into pole, I, I got asked to be an instructor because nobody has ever, at least at the studios at, they've never seen anybody pick up pull fast enough to do a competition within three months. Three months. Whereas I signed up kind of to be like, you know what, I'm going to sign up and I'm going to do the first competition that shows up. Like I just had this like confidence and like, oh, I can handle that. And it was the roughest thing I put myself through. It hurt so bad. I was like, why did I do this to myself? I trained for this competition only for a month. Oh. Prior to that, I had two months of just taking classes. I didn't even do more than 10 classes. Mm. I was like class seven when I was like signed up for a pole competition. And so they thought, hey, this girl has potential to teach. Mm -hmm. And like I could teach very well, yes, but... In terms of being really good at pole, it's, it's just a whole different animal. Uh, it's nothing like I've ever done in the past. And you were saying when we were talking earlier that this was, the group you were teaching was a group of women. It's a women's only class. And I'm just wondering how the, how do the mechanics, that's like the, not the right word, but in other words, when you're teaching women, that was that easier or harder than the, than the scenarios you've been in previously for teaching? I've never been around that 
many women my entire life. I've always been around boys or guys, and to be around women made me very uncomfortable. The first month,、mm-hmm. I just sometimes I was like, "This is too much. This is a lot of a lot of estrogen. I, I don't like this air. I I, I need I need to、I、need space. <laughs> I, I need to be what I'm more comfortable with or used to." I've always dealt with masculine energy because of parkour, breaking, even, you know. Yeah, just, and that's what strikes me. This is seems particularly interesting because it's like a whole different kind of challenge. It's, it's almost on purpose. I think I was trying to trying to challenge myself to do something very different from what I'm used to. I like to challenge my own comfort zones. Like if I'm like, oh, I've been doing this for too long. I need something to like shock my system.、Mm-hmm. It was almost for that because I signed up out of nowhere. I like went to this transformational course, and there were there was this one subject on being unreasonable, just like getting rid of all the reasons you have in your head why you want or don't want to do something and just do it,、mm-hmm. just because it like why not just just because you want to. And pole dancing kind of came up because this girl I was in the course with, she was like, "Oh, I took pole at this place called Foxy Fitness. Oh, they're so great. You're gonna love it." And I looked online. I saw a video of one of the instructors. She's like the the owner, and I was like sold. I was like, yeah, whatever she's doing, teach me.、Mm-hmm. I can do it. So it, I I jumped into it, and without the usual me, be like,、uh, think about it, like plan it, like what am what am I gonna do、That's、with you know, like、right? really like think about like why I want to do it and blah blah blah. But this time it was just like, ah,、oh, she said go try it, go try it.、Mm. Don't think, just go, see what happens, and it turned into this like. My a career of mine for I don't know like was it like three years I think it was like、um, 2014 yeah it was like a three year career that、And、I just what you, evolved into. <laughs> what do you think was the biggest challenge with teaching?、Uh, like how many women were you working with in a class? Just like are we talking five or fifty or like? Uh, usually the max size is six, but、yeah. I have to teach like six classes in a row. So,、oh, so it's, it's a like whole day one after another, session after, after session. After what, what was? What do you think was the biggest challenge that you had to like? What's what surprised you the most? Women, I I I felt like in the beginning they said I was too harsh on them. Like、uh, they said I was like too strict or too technical or whatever. And this, these are not just women. The challenge also was that they're regular people that aren't trying to be. Top elite or athletes, top elite and athletes I, or performers. I prefer to train that way, so I train my students like that, or Ooh, I would prefer that. That's an interesting distinction. And, like, well, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's just a lot of students actually appreciated that, but in the beginning, they were super nervous to have me teach beginners because they thought I would just scare them away. They actually banned me from class. <laughs> in the beginning, though, yeah, you can when you're doing your teacher training, you can be in the classroom and train, and then after like one day, they banned me from the beginner classes. Because they said I was intimidating the, <laughs> the other beginners, and yeah, it's just like I I think when you're with men and you're the challenge, all the guys want to rise above and like be like you.、Mm. All the guys like, damn, well this girl's doing, it. I gotta I gotta step up. Like guys feel more, they'll push more because somebody's better than them. But I don't know if it's true, but they said that students are getting intimidated. So I assume maybe like with the girls, if if somebody is just way above their level and they're in the room, they they. They actually back off and they they feel uncomfortable and they don't want to be in that space. I think I don't know if it's a man woman thing, but it, it certainly came of, out that way in that environment. What? Yeah.、Um, what was there anything like so that the situation? Because 
it's upside down. Like this isn't a case where you're exposed to a large group of people who are going to spontaneously give you advice. I'm guessing it's the other way around. They're going to spontaneously give you nothing but questions. Unsolicited questions all day, <laughs> every day. I'm sitting having coffee and just walked in with breakfast and <laughs> these women are asking me, how do you do this? How do you do that? How come I can't do this? How come I can do that? What's the progression for this? For that? And, and how did you deal with that? Like, that's because I'm trying to like, is there a, there's a lesson here that reminds me of the unsolicited advice topic that always comes up, but this is somehow upside down or inside out. It's unsolicited questions. You know that the questions can't be malicious. So you're like, how do you, how did you unpack that? Like, how did you figure out what to, like, do you just answer all the questions or do you say, look, can I have five minutes or? Well, at the time, because it was my job, I had to smile and answer everything. I had to be kind and I had, I had to treat them like they're my friends. Mm -hmm. Like I was trained in that space to always treat everybody like they're just one of us. Right, always Rather on. than I'm your teacher, I'm just one of your pals, one of your besties. Mm -hmm. And a lot, of the, a lot of the students were, and a lot of the questions were, were good questions, but some of the questions were, were excuses. Mm -hmm. How come I'm so weak today? How come I can't do this? It's been a year. How do you un how do you I don't answer those. So just like I just say do this again, do it ten times, do it again, come back later, let's do it again. Like I'm giving you every piece mm. of technique you need. Now you need is time and patience and stop judging yourself. And maybe a goal all the way back to it. where we started. Maybe that you need to figure out what your goal is that would provide you the motivation to do this thing that you say you can't do. And sometimes, you know, a lot of times the especially when they're plateauing. I have, a, I have a theory myself. If I'm plateauing more than two weeks, I need to change my training. I'm not training the thing I'm missing. Uh, I'm, I'm missing something. Mm -hmm. So if my student is telling me I've been doing this for a year and I haven't gotten it, something in their training needs to be adjusted because what you're doing isn't working. That part, I'm doing and this, fix this. <laughs> to be real with that was hard because now you have instructors that are like, because a lot of these students, I... They were passed down to me. They weren't my students at first. So they were taught a technique that obviously doesn't work for them. And I have to be the one to tell them, try something different. It's not that it's wrong. Mm. You need something else. Mm -hmm. But the other instructors, sometimes when they find out, would say, why are you telling them this? That's not correct. We don't train them like this. Mm. Whatever, whatever. I know you know a lot, but we know more about this. We've been doing it longer. So here's where the unsolicited advice kind of kicks in, right? It's like, not that it's unsolicited, but a lot of times the unsolicited advice you're getting from whoever is coming from a place where we always do it this way. I should know more than you. Why are you telling me this? Whatever, whatever, right? And this is like indirect, but it's also this fight for like who has the better knowledge, who has the correct knowledge, and what is the best for our students? Are you looking out for the interest of yourself or the person you're training? Right. And I think what it comes down to is if this person doesn't need advice right now and they want to figure it out, that's where they're at, you shouldn't talk to them. Let them figure it out. Let them get frustrated, get stuck, and then come to you. Right. Let them fight for it. Don't just feel like you have to help them and solve their problem for them because that is not always what they need at that time in space. And if you're dumping advice on your students and they get overwhelmed, they're going to be more frustrated and they're going to be more likely to quit. Yeah, it just shuts down their thinking process. And that's what unsolicited advice, I think, feels like for a lot of people. It's like, I came in here because I wanted to learn how to do, actually for me, it's funny, one day I wanted to learn how to do a back three quarter. So it's a backflip where you land on your stomach, which to a lot of people looks like I can't backflip. It looks like 
I'm crashing or I don't know how to backflow or I'm uncomfortable. Whereas I'm acting like I'm uncomfortable because I have to act like I'm dying. Mm. And then… Oh, right. Okay. So… <laughs> then some kid would come in and be like, Oh, uh, you need to jump higher and go like this. Try it with the foam pit. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like… Did you even ask me what I was working on? And this is a lot of people sometimes are really like, did you even ask me? Or did mm -hmm. you even see what I'm trying to work on? And like sometimes you short circuit, you just like block them. And sometimes I, I sometimes I yell at them and like, leave me alone. Like, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, um, I'm a little more compassionate good. Like, now. But. Well, I, I don't know that compassionate is always the right answer. I mean, there certainly has to be environmental considerations. There might be times to just be quiet and walk away. But in general, if people never see pushback then they'll never stop giving, you know, like, oh, I gave advice and they seem to take it. So I walk away. But if I give advice and somebody snaps at me and then it happens a couple of times and you're just like, oh, wait, this person that I'm giving advice to is actually an individual human being with rights and thoughts of their own. And then it, I, I think the unsolicited advice comes from just an unconsidered personal opinion. They don't, they just assume I know the answer. Like you were saying, I know the answer. Here's what you should be doing. Well, I try to be more educational now. So this, in this particular case, when I was trying these backflips and this kid said something very silly, I told him, hey, listen, I can tell you haven't been doing parkour for a long time. You're quite a beginner. I saw you train earlier. You took a class. Oh, and I'm like, listen, if you're in this place, you can't go around expecting your advice to be taken. You don't have a credential. Right. Like, I've been doing this for a long time. And... I run into people like you a lot. Yeah, and you need this. to be careful how you talk to people and what you're saying to people. Especially if you're giving that advice to a beginner, you're going to mess them up. Mm -hmm. And if you're giving advice to an advanced person, they're not going to take it. So what are you, are you just trying to make a friend? Like, what are you speaking up for? Mm -hmm. You have to think about why you're saying this. And I mean, he didn't take the lesson right the first time. Like he did it like two more times after that. But to me, it's like, at least I can address this so kids like him can learn and stop doing it. And because has, I think somebody just didn't tell him. And how, like what I want to know is for you personally, has um, let's call that a, a skill or the ability to do that with him. Does that free you from the annoyance? Like unsolicited advice can be like mess up my entire Kung Fu game, annoying train wreck. Well, I can't train anymore. Uh, has that freed you from that derailment? Like, can you? I think it's more of an empowerment thing. So in my theory, I think if myself and more people educate people who are being ignorant mm -hmm. at least to tell them hey let me tell you why this was kind of messed up mm -hmm. right if more people spread the message and more people are aware of it less of it will happen and it's actually going to liberate more people mm -hmm. so now when we're collectively training in a space we all have a collective understanding that you don't do that or what is a better way to address it like wait till after practice even you know if you have a concern, you can address it, but just like not during somebody's personal yeah, space in the and moment. time. Can, so it, I think it helps everybody. It's not just for me. Can we do it like, um, can we like the global community, like let's go back to parkour here for the global parkour community. Can we do that successfully? I was going to say like as a team. So like Emily's training, Craig walks up and like presents unsolicited advice. And then the next person over like steps in and says, yo, Craig, like here's your, here's your wake up call. W would it still work? Do you think if it was, we call it like a split triangle, like the person who gives the information doesn't have to be the person who was training. See what I'm saying? Like, or as does it have to be one-on-one? -on -one? Acknowledge it. As long as they're not like, she didn't say that. Mm -hmm. That's your opinion. As long as they acknowledge what your the advice or not the advice, the the lesson or the, the wake lesson. up call, the whatever you're giving them, mm -hmm. if they can acknowledge it, then 
it I don't think it matters who it comes from because I've done it before where um my friend Lorena was training at Brooklyn Zoo and this tricker guy came up to her and told her to use her arms like a rainbow mm-hmm. and she was like she was so mad because this isn't a move she never done it's like her warm-up so the first one wasn't quite perfect but she has this move right mm-hmm. she's just trying to clean it up and he comes here and tells her to use rainbow arms <laughs> so I was like don't be that person that we don't like like as a joke right and like I, do, I guess he didn't catch on but but <laughs> well, the point is like it's okay it. to, to be the person that saw somebody get the unsolicited advice got uncomfortable but didn't want to rage at him to then be that person to step in and be like look no yeah but i think it's okay it's totally okay if you see your friend being uncomfortable to then speak up because it's, it's not just about unsolicited advice it's also about let's another topic like guys hitting on girls out of gym it's that too it's like please don't be that person hmm. that we don't like <laughs> like just it, it speak up for your friend if you're, you can tell your friend doesn't want to speak up but they wish they could right you can do it for them it and you know it as long as it's done yeah, in the environment you know, created by everybody not just by that yeah those two people like one one trying to ignore one you know broadcasting that's everybody else in the room then enables that by not saying anything or even if they don't call it out right then and there if they don't say anything about it all night you're, you're enabling that mm-hmm. it's like a tacit approval thing where you yes. don't speak up for what you know is wrong Great. I'm, I'm glad we got to that. I'm glad that came out all from pole dancing. That's a, a <laughs> we were talking about that before. And I'm like, there's a, there's, it's like, it's inside out because you were on the unsolicited questions, but it, it drew us back to that topic. Yeah. It's good. I mean, just to add on to that though, also like there's this, always this fight for like who has a better answer to, right? So sometimes, yeah, you're getting an advice from like a person that's better than you. Mm-hmm. How do you take that? Cause they're going to be like, well, I taught you everything. Right. You should listen to yeah, me. Seen, yeah. And there's people that I like generally will listen to even if I didn't ask them for advice, right? But like sometimes it's like, wow, the piece of knowledge you just gave me conflicted with this other expert that I learned from. How do I handle that? Mm-hmm. I think that's why it also triggered me to to talk about it because when I come from like the pole dancing, which is like a different animal than break dancing and kind of like parkour, but still has its like differences, right? It just made me think about like, okay, so if I accumulate knowledge from different angles and different areas like for me then it's not about like what is the correct or right way it's like what is your goal and what's your body like and what can it do and what applies to you best and I have to decide that I have to be strong about that and I think uh that was another plateau I had it back in my old life where um, I always listened to exactly what I was told mm-hmm. and I wasn't getting better because I wasn't thinking on my own and understand, not that I didn't understand, but I didn't allow myself to use the understanding and to stand by and be like, this is how I work the best. And I need to believe that I know what's best for me. At the end of the day, you're the one to decide that. Yeah, where's the path? And parkour, I think, is one of those disciplines where it it's all about that. So in parkour, you rarely feel like the need to do what somebody else is doing or somebody else is saying. Whereas like in dance, you are kind of have to fight for that a little bit and be like, oh, this looks whack. <laughs> you like to say you look whack, but then like suddenly that thing you were doing that was whack now looks cool. Mm. So it's like, well, were they wrong to tell you it was whack mm. or should they have even told you it was whack? Because now it's dope. Yeah. But you didn't change a move. You just made the move better. You just like made it look dope. Mm. So it, it, there's always this fight like, oh, do, do I do it this way or do I do it that way? Like, should I take his advice? Yeah, because is the fix further real, or less, right? Or do, do I listen to this other guy because it feels better? Like, 
you have to know that at the end of the day, you gotta, you gotta ex be exposed to that to understand that. And I think these questions, whether we appreciate them or not, they, if you use it and you think about it, you process it a certain way, they're, they're coming at you for a reason. Somebody's addressing you something, even if they address it incorrectly. Oh, you're not strong enough. Maybe you're not, it's not that you're not strong enough, but there's something is missing. Mm -hmm. They're seeing something you're not doing. And maybe they said it wrong. They, they couldn't figure it out. But something is missing and you need to d dig deeper into that. If someone is giving you feedback, it's because they do see something you didn't see or you didn't figure out. So there's still value to it. You just really got to take a step back and be like, where is the value in this? If there is one. If there is. And of course, the final question, three words to describe your practice. First word that comes to mind, creativity and freedom, being primitive, being expressive, uh, being like powerful, strong, fast. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it's not fair to use three words because it's a feeling you get. Mm -hmm. And this feeling, this one feeling you get, you need like 20 different words to describe. That, that's how I think it really feels like. It's not really a word. Terrific. Thank you very much, Emily. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. This was episode 29. For more information, go to moversmindset.com slash 29. While you're there, please consider supporting the project. Thanks for listening.